I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Belim, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Hey, Dunker Punks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. My name is Emmett Wachowski-Eldred, and I'm one of your hosts, along with Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald. As you might be able to hear, I have a little bit of a cold right now, so instead of sniffling through a long intro, I think we'll all appreciate getting right into the episode. As it so happens, that's actually pretty appropriate, since today we're hearing from Ben Baer, who's talking about the core brethren principle of simplicity. So I'm going to keep my intro short and simple today, and just say, take it away, Ben. Hello, and welcome to the Dunker Punk Podcast for the first one of the year, 2018. It's already here. Glad to have y'all here. My name is Ben Bear, and I'll be talking with y'all today about simplicity. A little bit about me first. I am currently living in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I grew up in the little town of Knoxville, Virginia, where I attended the Knoxville Church of the Brethren. I just began two jobs. I work part-time at a restaurant called A Bowl of Good, and my full-time day job is I work with Adult Protective Services for the County Social Services. The topic for today, simplicity. How did we get to simplicity? Well, it came about through a couple of different avenues. One of them is with this new job, I have a new apartment. And after 99 housemates since college, actually 99, I have my first apartment on my own ever. Zero housemates. It's pretty gnarly. 
along with having your own apartment means you have a lot of options in front of you as far as how you want to outfit that apartment, how you want to decorate it, what you want to have in there, what amenities you want to have. It can be a little bit overwhelming in a really exciting sort of way, but you have a lot of choices to make, and sometimes it's hard to sort through what exactly it is you want out of the experience. Another component that affected my choice for wanting to talk about simplicity came from a little tidbit I saw on the back of a book that my friend Keith Seal has at his house. The book is called Shenandoah Heritage. His family goes back quite a few generations into the hollers of the Shenandoah Mountains. And the book, Shenandoah Heritage, The Story of the People Before the Park by Carolyn and Jack Reeder, has this little bit on the back. The descendants of the mountain people speak with deep respect of the self-reliance of their forebears. They refer to the stamina, the craftsmanship, the wood lore of these people. They wonder if our modern civilized way of life is really an improvement over that of their ancestors. Is it progress to make people feel dissatisfied? To make them want what they don't have? Those last two questions are listed there, asking about if progress is making people feel dissatisfied. And if making them want what they don't have is really moving forward in the world that we live in today. And it is a good question to wrestle with. A lot of times we end up finding that we sort of fall bait to the, to the media and to the advertising that is around us, whether or not we even recognize that that's what's happening. So coming back to the apartment, I have this empty apartment that I moved into. It's not empty anymore, but I had to decide what to put in it. In keeping with a simple lifestyle, there were some things that I chose not to have here. My apartment does not have a TV or cable. Currently, it has no Wi-Fi, and we'll see (laughs) if that continues. And one of the very intentional things that I've been doing as I've been collecting things to have everything you need for a kitchen and for a living room and for a bedroom is not being caught up on whether things match. And that's one of those things that I don't always recognize that it's happening until all of a sudden there's this desire to have these plates because they all look the same, as opposed to having four plates that don't look the same but all work fine because they're just plates. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is a practice that I know from Brethren Volunteer Service, we call it naming the saints. And so within the Brethren culture, there are quite a few people who have taken the call to simple living very seriously. Historically speaking, if you were a Brethren, it was easy to identify you because of your simple manner of life and dress. The Brethren would wear very plain clothes. They wouldn't have frills. They wouldn't have even a collar that came down would simply be a button at the neck shirt because the collar was ostentatious. And the brethren no longer physically have that much of something that identifies them as brethren. Sometimes you will recognize that they are brethren because they're wearing their clogs or their crocs at annual conference, or maybe they are one of the hybrid brethren, not because they are paired up with another denomination, but because they drive their hybrid cars to annual conference. There's always a fleet of them in the parking lot, and they're pretty proud of it. A couple of other folks who have gone on to 
demonstrate their simple lifestyle in different ways. When I was in my first year of Brother and Volunteer Service in Colorado, I volunteered a week at Camp Colorado out there, and the Wine Sisters, Janelle and Leanne, were the ones that were coordinating that camp. It was junior high camp, and they asked me to help lead one of their evening campfires, talking about simplicity. And so as we were preparing for it, I asked if they had anything they could share about how they choose to live simply in their lives. And one of the things that they came up with, and I don't remember if it was Leanne or Janelle at this point, so I apologize, is that they make their own granola. And it never occurred to me that that would be a simple thing, but it very much so is. And this is one of the take-homes that I have for simple living, is that simple living isn't always easy living. Doing things that are simple don't necessarily make your life more convenient. They might make it more fulfilling, they might make it more whole, but it also might wear on your knuckles and make you a little more tired, too. So the Wine Sisters, and make their own granola. Also, the Shrocks, Roger and Carolyn, who live out in the Cedars in McPherson now. They used to be my bosses slash housemates when I lived in southern Missouri working on their goat and cattle farm. They make their own granola as well. And it's a process. It would take a good chunk of the morning to make your granola. It would last you a good while, but it was much more tedious than if you were to go to, say, the Walmart that was really not all that far down the road considering where we lived and just purchasing the oatmeal and whatever. Another one to call out, the district executive for the Pacific Southwest District, Russ Madison, when he was still pastor at the Modesto Church of the Brethren in California. He had this period of time where on Facebook he was trying to simplify his life and be more aware of how his actions affected the world around him. And one of those things was with washing your hands. Oftentimes, I know we've all seen this, maybe some of us are guilty ourselves, When you get done washing your hands, you go and you grab a paper towel and maybe even a second paper towel or a third or fourth and you just grab a whole handful and you dry off your hands and then into the trash those paper towels go, especially if we're in a public restroom. And so those paper towels, do they really need to be used? Now in some place like California, this is particularly poignant because California has some very dry weather areas, you don't need to dry your hands. If you shake them off, they'll be dry within 30 seconds probably because the humidity is so low in so many places. And so that was his point. He said he would shake them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, maybe give him a wipe on his pants and away he'd go. And it was simply one little thing that he did that reduced his impact on the world. A little simple thing. Heather Lance. Heather Lance was in my BVS unit when we did orientation back in the fall of 2007. She has served at two different BVS projects in Northern Ireland and in Portland, Oregon, and is currently a speech pathology teacher uh, with public schools here in the Shenandoah Valley area. She coincidentally lives two blocks from my new apartment. Heather and I were housemates when we lived in Portland, Oregon together, and so we keep in touch and we visit with some regularity since I've moved so close by. I didn't even know she lived there when I moved here. So it was a little bit of a coincidental fate there. When you visit Heather Lance, though, you need to make sure you have a t-shirt in the summer or long sleeves in the winter because she keeps her thermostat closer to what the actual temperature is outside than what many others would. 
In the wintertime, she keeps the thermostat at 62 or 63 during the day and turns it down to 58 or 59 at night, which makes for a chilly house. But there are two benefits for this. One, she certainly is not wasting a bunch of fuel to heat her house, especially since there's just one person in her big house. If she's going to be in one room for a while, maybe she would use a space heater. And then the second benefit, certainly, is that she has a lower heating bill, (laughs) which is great. The Messimers, also of Modesto, California. Diana and Chuck Messimer were a couple that I worked with when I was at Peaceful Pines out in California, and they brought up, kind of casually, in a conversation at one point, that they only had two kids because that was what they had agreed to. When they were in high school, their youth group, they had met when they were in high school, their youth group had made a pact that when they grew up, they would have no more than two children, so that way they would not burden the world with more of a population than what the world could sustain, which seems pretty progressive considering the time frame in which this must have happened. I would say probably this would have been in the 60s, maybe 70s, that they had made this decision, and they stuck with it, that a decision they made in high school was something that they chose to live out. That's not a little thing to decide how many kids you're going to have in your life. That's a pretty significant life choice there. But they stuck with it. Two kids and done. It's impressive. This next example is one that I think probably many of us know somebody that does this out of necessity or out of simplicity. But Aaron Ross and Torin Sheeb, they live out in the Oakland area of California, and they have one car for two full-time working adults. Now, they live in a metropolitan area that affords them the opportunity to take public transit most days if they need to. The car is certainly a convenience, though. I would imagine it doesn't take too much work for us to think of families that have more cars than adults as opposed to one car for two adults. The next one, Natasha Stern Etzweiler. She was the program coordinator at Camp Swatara for the Atlantic Northeast Camp in Pennsylvania, southeastern Pennsylvania, and we worked there a summer together, and Natasha and I were good friends, and she got married to Bob Etzweiler at the end of her second or third summer working there as she finished up her work at the camp, and one of the things that she did with her wedding that I thought was pretty impressive, it was a no-frills kind of wedding. It was, we're going to provide the main course. It might have been a potluck. I don't recall. It was certainly sort of low-key. They had it at her home camp of Blue Diamond in Middle Pennsylvania District. But she had two bridesmaids, and her bridesmaids were given these guidelines for the bridesmaids' dresses. They needed to find dresses that had fall colors, so burgundy or orange or brown or something like that, and she wanted it to be a dress that they would wear again because she didn't want one of those bridesmaids' dresses that... You spend $150 on, spend $90 on alterations, wear it once, decide it's hideous or tear a seam or whatever, and then you have this 200 some odd dollar disaster that's hanging in your closet that you will never wear again because it has that hideous pink bow on the back or whatever. I thought it was very forward-thinking to imagine that the dresses that would be used for her bridesmaids in, their, in her and Bob's wedding would be something that could be used again. So rather than have it be a waste of material, 
it was the beginning of what hopefully was a more extended period of life for those garments. Next up, we have Tim and Katie Heishman. They are currently the program coordinators at Camp Brethren Woods in Kieseltown, Virginia, with the Shenandoah District. They were housemates of mine when we lived in Elgin, Illinois. Katie and Tim, along with Sarah Neer, helped to coordinate NYC 2014, four years ago. Yes, that is correct, four years ago. One of the things that Katie has always been passionate about, and Tim has been interested in and now has joined into that passion, is zero waste to see if they can have a net of zero as far as the waste that leaves their house. They don't want to be part of the average human population that puts out 4.3 pounds of trash a week or whatever the number is. I feel like I see a different statistic every time I see it. But they are intentionally trying to find ways to prevent having plastic wrapping on the food that they purchase and to try to reuse just about anything that comes into their house, to use glass jars for storage, to reuse bits of fabric and whatnot. If you are interested in following them, Katie does keep an Instagram going. It is at Katie Heishman. Katie is K-A-T-I-E. Heishman is H-E-I-S-H-M-A-N. And it's a pretty good Instagram. You should check it out. I think you would enjoy seeing some of the efforts that she goes into. Certainly this list could be longer of the naming of the saints, but I think it's good to also have it be a manageable list. One thing to keep in mind when you are considering these simpler lifestyle choices, it's sort of the same as with a diet. When you have someone that tries the fad diet or the sudden abrupt, I can only eat things that are green and grew less than 12 inches off the ground kind of bizarro diets, then all of a sudden it becomes really challenging to stick with this diet because you have abruptly left behind all the stuff that you have become accustomed to, such as comfort foods and such as the things that are easy for you to pack for lunch that fit nicely into those containers that you know you can eat quickly on the go. And you end up with something that maybe you could learn to like, but the abruptness of it makes it really difficult for it to latch on. And that's one of the reasons oftentimes diets don't go well. Likewise, when you are trying to incorporate simple living into your lifestyle, it's important to keep in mind that it needs to not be an abrupt, all of a sudden you get rid of all of the plastic in your life and you start bicycling to work even though you work 12 miles away and that you get rid of all the furniture in your house and you just sit on old cardboard and yeah, just take it easy and consider the little things that you can do. I think one of the ones that I would consider to be the easiest to start with is the Russ Madison one of washing your hands and simply shaking off your hands, maybe giving them a pat on your pants and being done. When you have those sorts of things that become habits, it helps you to feel more invested in it. It's a really small thing. In the grand scheme of life, it is a very minuscule percentage of the world's resources that you're saving, which can be disheartening to think about at times. But you're creating an attitude of investment. It's sort of the same as when you have someone that recycles, and they recycle pretty religiously. They do this every week. I know, I think of my dad. My dad is the king of recycling at the Bear household growing up and still to this day. Thus saith the Lord, he knows where the aluminum goes and it should be crushed. Amen. 
I would imagine that even though dad wouldn't necessarily consider himself a raging environmentalist, if there was a candidate that came up for election in office that wanted to do away with the recycling program in our county, it would all of a sudden be a factor for dad and his voting habits. Likewise, when you know that you're putting in your small efforts to try to help keep the world going round through your simpler lifestyle, it makes you more interested in supporting others who are doing the bigger things that can affect bigger change. Some other simple choices that you can potentially buy into that were not listed here. You can try growing your own garden. This could be a container garden that you have out on a porch or in a windowsill. Or if you're lucky enough to have some earth to till up or to not till up, there are lots of ways to do gardening, then you could have grow your own garden. You will appreciate the taste of your food so much more, and your food that comes from that garden will probably taste baller, y'all. You can purchase your clothes from thrift stores. If the clothes have already been made once, they don't need to be made again if there are clothes still there to be worn. Thrift store clothes are super awesome prices. I'm telling you what, they will be a fraction of the original price and oftentimes have quite a few years of wear left in them. If you end up tearing a hole in your new shirt that you got from the thrift store, you also are out $3.79 and you're probably paying it to a some sort of nonprofit that helps others with job readiness programs or with missions or what have you. Not a terrible thing. You could try a vegetarian diet. Be aware that the meat that you eat comes from somewhere and it takes a lot more resources to raise a cow than a carrot. And it makes a big difference in the amount of meat that we consume. We as Americans feel entitled to have a healthy portion of meat on our plates oftentimes. And it is important to be aware to know that there's a cost that goes with that. I'm not saying everyone needs to go vegetarian, but it is something to think you can move in that direction or go vegetarian and have only locally sourced meats, which is also a great option for your diet. You could try being a bicycle commuter. I've done that a couple of the years that I've lived in different places. Bicycle commuting is not for the faint at heart. You need to be accustomed to cars that are going to whiz by maybe a little closer than you want them to. You're going to have to wear some what you might consider really tacky or ugly, brightly colored clothes so that you're really visible to folks while you're out there cycling. You need to invest in a bicycle that is going to get you from A to B and a good helmet. And you're going to have to be willing to, if you bike to work and it's sunny and it's raining when it's time to go home, you need to be ready to bike home in the rain. But it is another one of those components of feeling invested in knowing that you're doing your part to keep yourself healthy, bonus, and also take care of the earth. For females, one that you can try out is a Diva Cup. Now, this is one that, uh, in of those 99 housemates that I mentioned before, probably two-thirds, maybe even three-quarters of them have been female. Just luck of the draw, that's how it's worked out. And so when you live in a house where there are two guys and eight girls, about once a month, the conversation topic will be about periods and cramps and birth control and whatnot, if not more than once a month. So 
Some of the best sex ed that I've ever had has been from living in houses full of females who talk openly about the challenges they have with trying to not have a lot of waste associated with their menstrual cycle and with things that are effective and things that are comfortable and things that are affordable. Certainly there are other options for ways to control XYZ and some come with certain side effects, but I digress. The Diva Cup, something worth looking into. I know a lot of long distance hikers will swear by it. It certainly is better than packing out a box of tampons and hoping you don't run out before your next resupply station. One of the things that I talked about with my apartment that is also really nice to think about and would also give you that visual separation potentially as, oh, that person, they must be one of those those crazy brethren people that try to do simple things, is the unmatched idea. I know a number of my friends wear unmatched socks. Oftentimes they're the same people that have been camp counselors. But the unmatched option works really well to drive home that idea that if something functions correctly, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. A lot of times if we were to think about that as if it were a human, a human that functions differently isn't any less of a human. Someone that's in a wheelchair or that is blind or that is hard of hearing is no less of a human than someone who we would consider to be fully able. Likewise, your shirt, if it has a tear in it, you can sew it up with whatever color thread you want. And that's your little badge of honor that you're taking your hippie brother and self and you're saying, I kept this. I didn't throw it away. And I'm going to keep it. So, what's the take home from all of this? I would encourage you to think in your life about three things. There are three questions I'm going to pose here. One, how could you make your life just a little bit more simple? Two, who do you admire for their simple living? And three, how obvious is it? You think back to that song that many of us sang as kids, maybe you still sing it today, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. When you only do your simple living in ways that others don't recognize or can't see, it's still good work, but to shine that light for others to see lights the way for others to potentially consider the habits that they have and if they might want to join in with this countercultural thing of simplicity. I want to end with that Shenandoah heritage quote at the very end of it. They wonder if our modern civilized way of life is really an improvement over that of their ancestors. Is it progress to make people feel dissatisfied? To make them want what they don't have? Hopefully you have taken some time to consider what it is that you want but maybe don't need. Maybe ways that you can stand out from the crowd a little bit to proudly show that you are one of the simple brethren. For the brethren, they've come to work together simply and peacefully. And hopefully we can continue that tradition for years to come. Ben, thanks so much for sharing your stories of simplicity with us, and congrats on the new apartment. 
I was ready for no more housemates after only a handful, so I can only imagine what it must feel like to finally have a place of your own after 99. Wow. I think my favorite part of Ben's reflections on simplicity are the many different stories and examples of people living simply in a whole variety of ways that Ben provided. For some who Ben spoke with, living simply meant something as small as making your own granola. And for others, it meant something as significant as deciding to only have two children to reduce your family's impact on the environment. That just goes to show that simplicity can actually be pretty complicated. And that, I think, is a pretty good thing. Because it means that simplicity is something all of us are able to incorporate into our lives in a way that really matches our lifestyle. I'll be honest. I'm not always as great at living simply as I ought to be, and Ben's episode has given me a lot to think about and a lot of inspiration for ways that I can build more simplicity into my life. Something I already do to live a little bit more simply is eating vegetarian. This costs less for me, is a lot healthier, and like Ben mentioned, it consumes a whole lot less energy and water than eating a diet with a lot of meat. But Ben's episode reminds me that there's a lot that I can do, big and small, to live more simply in other ways, which will create more space in my life for a relationship with God and with other people, and will also reduce my impact on the environment. What about you, Dunkerpunks? What are some ways that you live simply already, or ways that you want to resolve to live even more simply in the future? Let us know by sending us a message at dpp at arlingtoncob, or by tweeting us, or finding us on Facebook or Snapchat at DunkerPunksPod. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Emmett Wachowski-Eldred, and our other host is Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald. This episode was produced by Amy Gehring and Kevin Schatz, and our executive producer is Suzanne Lay. All our Dunkerpunks music is by Jacob Krauss. The Dunkerpunks podcast is produced by a team of more than a dozen contributors, just like Ben, from around the United States. We'll see you again in a few weeks for our next episode. I hope you'll tune in again. I just want to be me. I just want to be me.